Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our archived shows at our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Happy New Year! Welcome to 2023! It's always a, a good feeling to start a new year, kind of a clean slate, a fresh start, and there's always hope in new beginnings. So I hope that your 2023 is fantastic. And today we have something a little different from our usual farmed animal focus, but I love all animals, and sometimes there's an issue that kind of tugs at me, and that this is one of those issues. I, so I thought we would take a short excursion off the main path today and talk about elephants. And specifically, this issue is around elephants that are stolen from the wild and used in rituals and ceremonies in India. And our guest, Sangeeta Iyer, she's created a really moving documentary called Gods in Shackles. And that was, that was back a few years ago. And she's recently released a book on the same subject. And the book digs, digs deeper into her story and is really an engaging read. And I just really wanted to highlight her work and these amazing gentle giants, the elephants, and the, they're, they're just these massive and amazing beings. They're 100% vegan. Elephants are 100% vegan. And so is Sangeeta. So we're going to just jump into this really, really powerful story. I hope you enjoy it. All right, I am so honored to bring in today Sangeeta Iyer, Sangeeta is a journalist, biologist, multi-award winning filmmaker, and founder of Voice for Asian Elephants Society. From her home in Canada, Sangeeta oversees teams on the ground in India who combat elephant poaching, illegal trade, habitat loss, and more. Sangeeta was born and raised in Kerala, southern India, home to captive elephants used in festivals and ceremonies, documented in her award-winning film, Gods in Shackles, and now in her new book, Gods in Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy, Resilience, and Freedom. Welcome to the podcast, Sangeeta. It's wonderful to be with you, Hope. Yes, I'm so glad you could join us. And we we like to start with just getting to know you and learning when and why you went vegan. Tell us about why and when you went vegan. So I've always been a vegetarian. I was born and raised in a Hindu family. And it's been about 15 years because there was an incident that occurred when I was in India filming. I noticed a calf. She was suckling from her mom's udder for like 20-25 minutes. This was in a village where I was filming. And, you know, I, I looked at the uh, the owner of that cow and I said, how come this calf has been suckling for like 25 minutes? Uh, he, he said, well, it's getting very little milk. And I said, why is that? And he said, because we took her milk in the morning and we sold it because we needed to make our living. That gutted me. And I said, oh my God, I am part of the problem. And mm -hmm. I said, 
today and every day from today, I made a commitment to the calf. And I said, I will never, ever take your mom's milk. And so <laughs> I'm getting emotional because no, it was yeah. just a horrible, horrible thing to see. And then to have these people kind of not even understand how this is impacting the poor baby. So I've been vegan for the last 15 years. And that was the lesson I learned from that little calf. Wow. So the calf was just drinking so much, like going just very, very hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that that in the West, they always take the babies away from the moms and don't even let them drink the milk that was intended for them by nature. And I know in India as well, that's standard practice. But here was a situation that, you know, could have been considered more humane, where the calf gets to stay with the mom, but the calf is still so hungry because the mom's milk's been taken. Wow. Oh, wow. So your film, Gods in Shackles, was released a few years ago, and it is about the issue of captive elephants used for f festivals and ceremonies. When did you first become aware of this issue? What 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 uh, what drew you to make this this film? Right. So in 2013, when I had returned to India for my father's first uh, death anniversary, I somehow through a chain of events that I've described in my book that you mentioned earlier, I was taken back to my birth place, Kerala after several years of having lived in North America. And when I returned, uh, I did visit the temples. And just to kind of backtrack, elephants have been part of my culture. As you said, I was born and raised in Kerala, and my grandparents used to take me to this amazing temple. Even as a three-year-old child, they would just leave me with this majestic bull elephant in our temple who was tethered inside our temple. And I would play with this elephant and it's almost like both of us used to look forward to each other this majestic tusker it's almost like he would know that his friend is going to be there just now and mm. he would just await my arrival anxiously and it was just such a mutual mad love between the two of us and oh. so after you know after i moved to canada of course things changed life changed and then when i returned in 2013 i was absolutely devastated to see the plight of those same bull elephants that I had treasured when I was a child. And, uh, you know, being a videographer, I voraciously gathered a lot of footage, about 25 hours. Then when I returned to Toronto, I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do with this footage? You know, I am a, you know, broadcaster, a broadcast journalist. I, I've i never produced a documentary film before. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do with it? And my media colleague said, Sangeeta, you can produce a, sh a short film. But it turned out to be a 90-minute long film. It, I mean, it's almost like a synchronicity of events just unfolded, pushing me to produce this. It's almost like I was destined to do this. And my destiny had been carved out when I was a three-year-old child. Again, I'll, I have described a story in my book about why this is the case and what I told my grandmother when I was a three-year-old child. And so 
I gathered all this footage and uh, I, you know, launched a crowdsourcing campaign. People from around the world, strangers who never knew me, they were contributing such large amounts. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, you know, this is so meant to be. And that is another indication of when you have a sense of, you know, feeling or when you have like a profound, deep, like when you feel deeply that there's a problem, do something about it. Don't remain silent and everything will just unfold. We humans tend to think, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I don't know. I've never produced a film, just like how I was fretting and fuming. And at the end of the day, I just followed my heart. Mm. And so evolved this incredible film, Gods and Shackles, was nominated to the United Nations General Assembly and it has won about 12, 13 international film festival awards Wow! and on and on is it's not because, you know, I'm, I'm a great documentary filmmaker. It, it's a, the topic is really, really very difficult. And apparently it resonated deeply with people. And I followed my heart's calling and the doors opened up. So many avenues opened up. That's the moral of the story. It, it is making a difference because many people you know, after they watched, they said, wow, this is an eye-opener. Dr. Jane Goodall watched the f- film and she was devastated. She endorsed the film. And uh, some people called it, you know, the Blackfish for Elephants. So, yeah. So, you know, mm. and it's available for free. You, people can watch it on waterbear.com. Yeah. You can watch and it for free. Yeah. yeah, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. So, so tell us what the issue is. What so these are Asian elephants, and I learned from the film that India has about sixty percent of the wild Asian elephants on Earth, mm. and they they are an endangered species. And so people steal them from the wild, correct, and t- and and bring them into captivity, and and then what 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 is the issue? What what is the problem? Right. So there are approximately 40,000 Asian elephants at the moment as we speak on the entire planet and about 27 to 28,000 of them, 27,000 to 28,000 are in India. So India Mm -hmm. is their last bastion and they are being pushed uh, to the brink of extinction at this point because of so many multitudes, multiple reasons. Um, To begin India is poised to become the most densely populated country on the planet as of next year. Initially, they had predicted that, you know, the human population will surpass China in 2027, but actually it's going to surpass China and it's going to be the most densely populated as of next year. Mm. What that means is, you know, there's a significant competition for space. So two dominant species, elephants and humans competing for space. And this is causing a lot of issues because development is reckless in India. Train tracks are cutting through the forest. Roadways and highways and byways are cutting through the forest. Electrical wires are traveling through the forest and people are encroaching into the forest and cultivating crops. So what happens is elephants, they can't find enough food in their habitats, because people who encroach, they're also taking away a lot of things from the forest, like forest resources. And so elephants are being pushed out of the forest. And the minute they step out, they enter the cropland. And of course, there's 
enough food for them. So they start, you know, raiding the crops, so to, so to speak, and farmers get upset. So they are installing high voltage fences. As a result, elephants are getting electrocuted. Some of them are being poisoned. And because the railways are cutting through the forest, elephants are getting killed by the speeding trains, again, reckless speeding express trains. And the trucks, you know, at night in particular, when elephants cross, the trucks are speeding and so many elephants are getting killed in every way possible. I mean, they're getting electrocuted in their own homes in the mm-hmm. forest because mm-hmm. wires are cutting through. So the wild elephants are facing one kind of challenge. A lot of times what government does is says, okay, this is a problematic elephant raiding the crops. We're going to capture them. They capture them and they take them to the forest camps. And then they, you know, now, I mean, they illegally, they say we give it away, but there is some kind of a, you know, remuneration that happens, which is very sort of subtle and corruption is rampant. And elephants are scheduled one animals, meaning they receive the highest amount of protection in India and they're considered to be India's heritage animal. So mm-hmm. they're legally not allowed to capture these elephants, but still they are being captured illegally. And the officers who are supposed to monitor the forest, they turn a blind eye and they allow these, you know, captors to capture the elephants and they sell them illegally mostly in the northeastern states of India, like Arunachal Pradesh, Assam, Bihar. And from there, they are transported to Kerala, which is like the southern tip of India. And these poor elephants are brutalized because their spirit has to be broken in order for them to follow the commands of the handlers. They are starved and they are beaten for hours on end, 72 to more than 72 hours of starvation. They are not even given water and they are beaten viciously with bull hooks and spears and poked and prodded by 10, 15, 20 drunken men. It's just horrendous what mm. they do to this to these poor intelligent animals. And the, the thing is, these elephants are highly social animals. They're very attached to their family members and they have like a hierarchy just as Humans, I mean, imagine your baby being kidnapped and taken away by strangers, and then the baby at the age of six months being viciously beaten, you know, mm. and, and it's just a horrendous thing that goes on. Mostly it's the baby bull elephants that are exploited, and so he's viciously beaten and then uh, it, it trained, you know, and the, the, the chains are heavy. You'll see, that's one of the things I noticed when I was in India, when I went to the temples in 2013, when I was there for my father's death anniversary. I voraciously gathered footage of tears flowing down their face, massive tumors on their bodies, chains cutting into their flesh, blood oozing out, pus flowing, and blind elephants being paraded beneath the scorching sun on hot, melting tar roads. I said, I got to do something. And that's how this movie came to be. Yeah, I learned a lot from the film. And something that, you know, I didn't really ever think of is what happens to the elephant's feet 
they're chained so tightly around their feet that the chains rub into their legs and there's these raw wounds around their, you know, ankles and legs. And, and sometimes the chains are so tight together for two of the, of the legs that, that when they walk, they have to just limp because, you know, their stride is basically just a limp because they're so uh, chained tightly. And then also I learned from the film that they have problems being on the concrete and hard surfaces all day. Can you talk about that aspect of, of all this? Absolutely. You know, elephants being such large bodied animals, the, only way they can maintain the balance of their body is by wandering across vast areas for hours on end. You know, they're migratory species. So making them, you know, stand in one spot, tethered 24-7, that in and of itself is psychologically and physically damaging. But beyond that, you know, chains cut into their flesh and they are forced to stand on their own urine and excrement. And, you know, they develop massive swellings on their ankles and they're forced to stand on concrete floors and their foot pad is not designed for this. They are designed for lush jungles and marshes, not for them to stand on these hard concrete floors. And these people, they make them stand on the floors because it's easier for them to clean. Everything that's easier for humans is not at all good for the elephants. And so what happens is they develop all kinds of you know, foot problems, foot rot, because they stand on their own urine and excrement, as well as, you know, if they don't walk, you know, the ba- they can't balance their bodies. And I mean, if they're forced to stand on the concrete floors uh, day and night, they develop serious foot rot and deadly diseases like tuberculosis, because these kinds of horrible environment, they attract mosquitoes and mosquitoes carry malaria and you know, even so many viral infections, they develop uh, even herpes virus, etc., because of the unhygienic conditions that they're forced to stand on for hours on end. And psychologically, they're totally damaged because mm. they're used to wandering with their families and friends, socializing. Yeah. They eat, you know, they, 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 they continue to graze 16 to 18 hours a day. And they're and they, they graze on like 400, 500 varieties of fodder in the forest. Whereas in this captive situation, they are grazing only on two or three, mostly cariota palm leaves, which are really fibrous. And so it also impacts their um, digestive system and they develop all kinds of digestive ailments. And yeah. many elephants die because mm-hmm. of foot rot, digestive issues and all kinds of deadly diseases. Yeah. Yeah. It it was really so sad. There was a moment in the film when the handler uh, of an elephant named Lakshmi said that her swaying was like dancing, that 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 meant she was happy, her swaying. And, you know, we know uh, animal behaviorists and scientists know and have uh, proven that when captive animals are swaying or bobbing their heads, it's a yeah. sign of stress and boredom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, elephants are, are very social creatures. They live in family packs. So so they tell us about this, about the loneliness um, that these captive elephants experience. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the hardest part, you know, because yeah. elephants are highly intelligent and their prefrontal cortex is very much involved in their brain functions properly only when they are able to be attached and be with their family members. When they are not with their family members and when they are in these kind of impoverished environment, it impacts the brain structure in and of itself. And there's so many studies that have been generated. Dr. Bob Jacobs, he talks about how these kinds of, you know, constrained environment, they put such incredible stress and it really damages their brain structures and they start manifest, you know, in in their behaviors, the, 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 the change in their brain structures impact how they behave, determine how they behave. And so many scientists have also associated post-traumatic stress disorder with the dysfunctioning brain because they've been torn from their families and because they've been uh, subjugated and tortured and they suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, which manifests as swaying and bobbing their heads up and down because they are bored in the mm-hmm. wild. You know, they wander across vast areas, they socialize, and they're constantly occupying their brain. They're busy. They create tools to scratch themselves. You know, they play with their with the young and everything that we do right and and they communicate by touching each other with their trunk and they always you know are very bonded they live in very tight-knit families disrupting that family structure ripping apart these highly intelligent and social animals and putting them in captivity for human entertainment which is what this is all about it has nothing to do with culture or religion that is utterly detrimental and that's the pathetic state the mahout looking at this you know elephant you know swaying side to side and bobbing its head and and the manhout is the handler right yeah mahout yeah handlers are called mahouts in india and so the ignorance that this mahout projected was just it's all across that's how they there's so many misunderstandings misinterpretations and absolutely no knowledge in regards to what these elephants suffer. Yeah. Uh, and so mm-hmm. they interpret their movements as dance and that they're happy and that they love me and all these things. Meanwhile, this elephant is like, no, no, I am stressed. I am bored. Take me home. I want to be with my family. Yeah. 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 And that trauma and PTSD manifests into uh, like stampeding and violent behaviors, which I mean, completely is understandable and happens in uh, circuses as well. Circuses, traveling circuses all over the world that have elephants. That was that luckily that is starting to be phased out, but that's one of the dangers is that they will just start rampaging and, and, you know, turning on their handlers, stampeding, and it's very dangerous. And that happens all the time. And in your, in your film, I I learned that many people and elephants die from these moments, these very scary moments. Yeah. 
Yeah, you raise a very good point because um, actually Dr. Jessica Bell Rosallo, who is a psychologist, an animal psychologist, particularly elephant, uh, she has studied their behavioral patterns and she has drawn comparisons between their brain structures and their behavioral patterns. And they develop something called hyper-aggression. They become very aggressive towards their handlers and the people surrounding them because they can't seem to find an escape. So they have no choice but to run amok. So obviously there will be stampedes. People will get killed. And then the other, on the other hand, elephants, some elephants go through hypo-aggression, which is like they're terrified of even one little sound. They're startled because, you know, they have been traumatized so much mm. that anybody that comes near, they're like, their eyes are like twitching. And you see all these things that humans go through exactly, you know, it's exactly the same what elephants suffer. Yeah. And so, yeah, and it manifests in all kinds of behaviors, hyperaggression, hypoaggression, terrified of people. And in their, you know, terrified state, they just do whatever they can to defend themselves. Yeah. You know, how do you blame them? Yeah. So you talk in the film about how abusive animals, harming animals, is strictly prohibited in the Hindu religion. And according to Hindu scriptures, harming animals is one of the worst things you can do, especially in the name of God or for religious purposes. Can you talk more about this, about that spiritual connection? And it's not only Hindu. Uh, I, I believe, you know, you've said that they're used in uh, other other religions and temples and churches in India. Can you talk about that part of it, the religious connection? So all religious scriptures, including Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism, all of them, they, you know, they talk about compassion for every single living being. Yeah. There's not a single scripture in any of these religions that suggests if you used elephants in festivals, gods are going to be happy. In fact, <laughs> you know, when it comes to, I, I mean, they're generally used in, as you said, you know, churches, mosques and, and temples, but it all began in the temples. And so what happened is, you know, the others said, okay, well, I'm also going to get a piece of the economic pie because temples are benefiting. And what the irony is, is that, Elephants are considered the embodiment of Lord Ganesh. Lord Ganesh is a Hindu god with an elephant face. And Buddhists also worship Lord Ganesh. So on the one hand, they are revered. And on the other hand, they are defiled. Mm. So they are tortured and harassed and tormented. And paradoxically, <laughs> that's the saddest part. They continue to justify that it's part of our culture and religion, yet so far, nobody has been able to point out where that scripture is. Show it to me, please. And in fact, there are many Hindu priests who are speaking out against this practice because Hinduism of all the religions, it's a philosophy. It's not even a religion. Hinduism is a philosophy that you use for, for your day-to-day -day life, like you live the Hindu philosophy. You know, it's a way of life, as the Supreme Court of India has described Hinduism. Hinduism is based in ahimsa. Ahimsa is nonviolence. Yet everything being inflicted upon these elephants, everything is violent. Mm. And so how do you justify that? 
So they twist the meaning of the Holy Scriptures. But at the end of the day, it is now becoming clearer now more than ever before that it's all about money. Because right. what happens is, is elephants are leased out just as though they are cars. And they lease out these elephants for loads and loads of money to temples and churches and mosques. And there are these middlemen or brokers who negotiate the deal between the elephant owners and the temples and the mosques and the churches and the religious institutions. And so that's not what Hinduism teaches us. That's not what Christianity teaches us. I mean, even Christianity talks about be stewards of the earth. And, you know, I'll protect all of you just the way I protect the sparrows. Why would I not protect and take care of you? So why so much greed and lust for money, power and material possessions? That's what this is all about. Mm. So so the, the elephants bring in donations, they bring in activity. So they're making money for the temples. Absolutely. For the yeah, for the religious institutions and they make money for the owners because it's the owners who are actually benefiting. So the brokers and the owners mint money. These owners are the ones who have illegally bought the elephants. So they own them. It, it's all a cash transactions, no money trail left behind. Mm. And they have them tethered 24 seven in their backyard. It's a horrendous situation that mm. these poor elephants. And and listen, I got to tell you something. Just recently, the government of India has put out a Wildlife Protection Act amendment, which actually allows these exploitation of elephants in religious festivals. This is the first time ever. Wow. I mean, it's just gut-wrenching. But again, you know, it has passed the lower house. It is still being debated in the upper house. Wait, so and this would, uh, let me clarify. So this is this is making it legal for them to have elephants at the temples? Is that what you're saying? So, so there's, again, there's a little bit of uh, confusion surrounding that. That doesn't mean that they are allowing elephants to be captured. What the Wildlife Protection Act suggests is that the existing stock of captive elephants can be transported transferred between states which had been illegal oh. in the previous wildlife protection act if they're being transferred for religious purposes so oh, that they have I defined see. it such mm. that now they have legalized it and their argument is well even if it is illegal they do it so we might as well legalize it i mean that's a that's such a regressive way of instead of enforcing the laws of the land they are permitting Everything that goes against the nature of humans and elephants, because humans are intrinsically compassionate and caring people, you know, yes. but yeah. it's these possessions, greed and lust for money is just mm. driving them completely blind. Mm. Terrible. Well, you have continued this project, the film that came out a few years ago, with a book, a book that just came out recently. Tell us about the book. <laughs> so the book, uh, Gods and Shackles, What Elephants Can Teach Us About Empathy, Resilience, and Freedom, is a journey into the making of my film itself. Mm. And the reason that I was compelled to write this book is because uh, it's a, there's an esoteric element 
to that, as I said earlier, the minute I decided I was going to do something, everything opened up. The universe opened up so many pathways. People showed up, events happened, circumstances unfolded. And I started writing these things as a journal. And I, I was thinking to myself, my goodness, like I could have never imagined producing this movie, let alone, you know, winning all these awards. And I just followed my heart's calling. Mm. So why I was compelled to write this book is that there's so many people who say, oh, I, I want to do so many things, but I can't, but I'm scared, but I'm not good enough. You know, there's always this, I can't, I'm not good enough. I should have, could have, should have, could have, would have, but you just follow your heart's calling and face your fears boldly and just say, I'm going to do it. And I confronted my fear by doing exactly what I feared doing, mm. just going through it. It's like there's a fire burning and you know, it's going to burn you, but you just put your foot in and you just jump over and cross over and you're on the other side. That's <laughs> what happened to me. Kind of, you know, mm. of course, it's not that simple and easy. You know, I was emotionally traumatized watching these elephants when I watched these elephants, they basically helped me draw the parallels between my own life and their lives. Like, like, you know, shackled mind is what I had because I kept thinking I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I can't, but I just went ahead and I did it anyway, regardless of what my, what the gremlins were telling me. I just <laughs> went ahead and I did it and look at what has happened like Dr. Jane Goodall has written the foreword to the book and I mean it's it it, it was number one bestseller a couple of times on on Amazon and I also wanted to highlight not just about my journey but about the value of elephants why is it that I am banging my head against the brick wall because that's what it seems like at this point why is it that I'm fighting for for these elephants to be kept in the wild because they play a significant role in the forest ecosystems. And that those are some of the things that I describe in the book. Like, why should we protect these elephants no matter where we live? People living in North America will probably think, man, why should I care about elephants? Although elephants invoke and evoke a lot of beautiful feelings when you see them. They are such gentle creatures. And yeah. those are some of the things I've I've added in the book as to why protect these elephants. Yeah. Yeah. You say that elephants are proven climate mitigators, mm. which is so fascinating. So tell tell us a little about that, about how they actually help uh, the climate crisis. Right. So elephants are mega herbivores. And so what they do is when they they wander across vast areas and they are the largest living land mammals. So when they wander across the forest floor, they trample the softwood trees and they open up the pathways for so many other species while at the same time clearing up the forest floor so the rainfall and sunshine can penetrate the soil. At the same time, because they have a long elastic trunk, they also open up the canopies of the tree, you know, of the forest. That way, they also open up the roof, so to speak, and allow the sun to penetrate and, you know, come to the forest floor. So sunshine and rain are critical 
for the growth of dense forests for trees in particular because they trample the softwood trees and weeds and all these other shrubs etc the rainfall and sunshine can now be absorbed by the hardwood trees and why is it important that the hardwood trees receive all these nutrients because they sequester a lot more carbon than the softwood trees so that in and of itself is like a, an enormous deal that's how powerful they are so they are they clearly help mitigate climate change directly and indirectly uh, directly by you know propagating tree growth because they also drop about 300 pounds of dung per day and most of the dr- dung they they disperse have seeds in them and these seeds are scattered across the forest floor and the reason that these seeds germinate so beautifully is because most of these seeds are wholesome so elephants have a strategy of consuming the food 70% of what they consume just comes out the other way mm-hmm. um, they their body can absorb only 30% and 70% comes out the other way so the seeds that come out are wholesome in their dung and these seeds are scattered across the forest floor and studies have shown that elephants do the seed dispersal 200 times more than the other animals like cattle or bisons and deer and stuff like that but elephants they really play a very critical role and that's one of the things that i've elaborated also in my book to explain why protect them yeah Yeah, that's fascinating. And so part of that is they're uh, trudging through the forest and how they can clear the path, right? They can kind of like clear away things. And uh, so there's more sun, more nutrients, things like that. And that's where Ganesh uh, is considered like a remover of obstacles because elephants have that ability to kind of like plow through and remove obstacles in their way right so that's one of Ganesh's qualities yeah and there's so many there's so many elephant qualities that people pray to Lord Ganesha for for instance they pray for of course removing all the obstacles on the pathway but they also pray for flexibility and you know for Lord Ganesha to grant them flexibility elephants trunks are the most flexible Ah, of their body elastic trunk so Mm. Dear God, please give me the strength to be flexible so I can adapt to the rapidly changing world. Yeah. Grant me the ability to listen because elephants have large ears. And mm. so we worship Lord Ganesha for that. And elephants have very keen listening ability. So help me listen to my own heart and not be distracted by the noise of the world Mm. so I can listen to what others say and more than anything, what my heart says and follow my heart. So there's so many deeper meanings to elephant's face alone. I love all that. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So your current work, you've, you've founded an organization called Voice for Asian Elephant Society. Tell us about this current work. So in 2016, after my movie was released, I felt that I needed to do more. It's all good to create awareness, you know, create documentary and spread the word, but I needed to do something more concrete on the ground. And so 
I founded this organization with a mission to protecting the endangered Asian elephants in India because it is their last bastion. And so we have multiple projects on the ground to protect wild elephants and to ensure that, you know, the suffering of captive elephants is reduced by providing rehabilitation program for the current captive elephants, which we provide. Uh, so we have projects like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, elephants are getting killed on India's deadly train tracks. So we are using technology, harnessing the power of technology to develop devices that will alert the elephants and the train pilots to slow down and prevent the elephants from crossing. And mm -hmm. we are just going to start implementing that in January of 2023. We have just developed that device and we are so happy that the forest minister of West Bengal, which is a northern Indian state, uh, is going to come and inaugurate that particular launch of the of the device. We are also installing elephant-friendly fencing, allowing the farmers to protect their cropland, but at the same time preventing them from using high-voltage fencing, which you know is electrocuting elephants. So, in the area that we are working in, in in Bengal, West Bengal, in the 3,000 square kilometer area, there's not been a single elephant death for the last two years that we've been there. Simple tools like flashlights that we in the Western world take for granted, poor people don't even have that. There's so many tea plantation workers, you know, and tea plantations, by the way, are used by elephants to cross between the forest patches. Mm. And so they encounter humans and they startle each other. But if humans carry the flashlights, then elephants are like, oh, okay, they're here and they don't, they're alerted. So humans huh. and elephants are alerted by that simple device. Yeah, so, simple solution. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have several projects planting saplings, elephant-friendly fodder in another state called Odisha. And we are creating water holes in the forest because their habitats are being decimated. And these saplings are being planted on the elephant corridors. So they have some food to eat and so they don't have to raid the crops etc so we're working on multiple projects and we are providing a rehabilitation program for captive elephants by also training the mahouts with positive reinforcement and enrichment programs we bring in experts from around the world to train them and offer certification programs etc so we are involved in a lot of things and the coincidental thing is that my movie was released in May of 2016, and we received the nonprofit uh, charitable status in Los Angeles, California, in June of 2016. So everything fell into perfect place again. Mm -hmm. And now we are teaming up with several conservation groups and grassroots organizations in India because they know the problems. And we are also empowering local communities like villagers, etc. So creating sustainable human communities and empowering them to care for the endangered Asian elephants. Wow. Wonderful work. Uh, just really, really wonderful. And that's uh, that organization is voice for Asian elephants society. Correct. Yeah. Oh, great. And we, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can go and learn more. Yeah. Uh, just wonderful work. I'm, I'm so inspired by all you do Sangeeta. It's really incredible. We do need to bring this interview to an end. So I want to ask you, Sangeeta, what gives you hope for the future? All this collaborative work that we are involved in 
that gives me hope. People are awakening. That gives me hope. Democracy is thriving. <laughs> that gives me hope. And people are realizing the value of freedom. And so they're able to relate to the captive status of animals. And there are so many studies coming out that focuses on, you know, the challenges that these highly intelligent animals face. And people are speaking out, people like yourself, you know, doing these podcasts and amplifying our message and talking about veganism and its connection with climate change and, you know, saving all these animals because that is also directly linked with climate change. So conversations are being amplified around the world. And of late, we are even seeing the United Nations talking a lot about climate change. Uh, we are seeing how what happens in one part of the world reverberates across the planet. The war in Ukraine has awakened everybody. The COVID outbreak has awakened everybody that if you don't respect wildlife, this is what is going to happen. You're going to, you're going to face zoonotic diseases that you'll never be able to get rid of. What you put into the environment is going to return to haunt you, humanity. And so people are awakening to all these facts. That gives me hope. But still, we, ca we cannot afford to be complacent. We have to keep talking and we have to name and shame those who refuse and deny. And we need to continue to stay on this course of doing everything in a compassionate manner. Even those who are deniers, we need to be compassionate towards them try our best to understand where they're coming from and provide alternatives. That's what gives me hope. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you again so much for all your good work. Uh, we will put all kinds of links in the show notes so everyone can uh, learn more. And uh, thank you, Sangeeta, for your incredible, incredible work. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for the work you do and for promoting veganism. Go vegan, everybody. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. This is it's such a sad and horrendously cruel industry, the temple elephants. Uh, but, but I do want to say that churches in the West cause just as much animal suffering, but just in different ways, in more subtle ways, right, that aren't as blatant. But of course, most every church serves meat, dairy, and eggs at meals, at fellowship halls, and they'll even have like barbecue fundraisers, fundraisers with meat dishes. Animals, farmed animals are confined and tortured and killed and then cooked and barbecued on the plate uh, versus being beaten and chained as the elephants are. So so just to acknowledge that places of worship in the U.S. are not free from animal cruelty. Okay, so I will circle back next episode with our usual focus on farmed animals and veganism. And, and actually, we will be talking about fishes for a portion of the episode, which we don't get to do often enough. So I'm excited about that. 
If you felt this episode was an important uh, story to tell, please share it with your networks. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please scroll down and give us a five-star rating, maybe write a review. Thank you so much for sharing, for sharing this episode and getting this important information out into the world. I hope that you have a fantastic 2023. Happy New Year. And if you aren't vegan, this is a great time to go vegan as a resolution for the new year to start off by living a more nonviolent life, living a more healthy life. And, and also, you'll always remember when your veganversary is. You know, when you go vegan, when we go vegan, most vegans like to mark the occasion and remember the date so that you're able to say, I've been vegan for so many years. I've been vegan for this many years. We call it the veganversary. I, I don't know mine. I don't know the exact date because it was so long ago. I just know the year. The year was 1990. So I have been vegan now for 32 years. But uh, if you go vegan now, you can always remember that it was New Year's of 2022. Kind of cool. So celebrate these new beginnings and may this new year bring us even closer to animal liberation. Please live vegan. Thank you.